when I was in grammar school, we, uh, we had a, a gang of sorts. We weren't very ferocious gang members at all, but we did look for a bit of a sort of a fight every now and then. There was a, a, a woods area behind our gr- grammar school, and there were, there were other schools not too far away. Notably, we were a Protestant school, and there was a Catholic school not far away. So we would um, almost, by arrangement, find ourselves in this kind of forested area, we called it the Glen, um, in behind the school, and we'd just have a bit of a you know, a rough up every now and then. And and the way we kind of signaled to one another was uh, we would, you know, kind of converge. There were only four or five of us on each side, and we'd, we'd go, uh, hey, we lied, are you looking for trouble? And that was the clue. When you asked, are you looking for trouble? Um, the answer was likely, aye. And then trouble was on. Um, uh, nothing very much happened, and we... I think at the end of the day, we put our arms around each other's shoulders and said we'd had fun. But uh, we fancied ourselves sort of a, a gang, um, and this was our our activity as gang members in Hollywood in Northern Ireland. Um, th- they use the term bad actor, uh, and I, I don't know what the particular origin is, but many times in the news over the last few days, We've heard people refer to some participants, particularly in the riots, as bad actors. Uh, and and it, it's a sad kind of a commentary. We, we believe, or we're led to believe, that there, there are characters who, who really did show up looking for a fight. Right, they they came from somewhere else. They maybe weren't even from the streets of the city that they were protesting in, and and they really came along kind of looking for a fight. And as as we think about that today, um, I, we're going to just ask a question: Well, what is it that we're looking for? Uh, presumably, we're not looking for a fight. Um, and I've grown up a little bit, so I, I don't even look for a fight anywhere. But what are we looking for? We're beginning um, a, a beginning series into the summer. Um, the series through June is simply going to be called It's the End of the World as We Know It, question mark. And from that, we're going to move into a summer-long study on the longings uh, of the particular activities, scenarios, theologies, stories of the whole Bible, as we discover that we are all kind of longing forward. That, that'll really be the sense of what we'll learn together, that we were, we, we were made with a longing, and the longing shows up everywhere, but it's a longing forward. So, when we we go to Second Peter, just to keep listening to Peter as we ought, Second uh, Peter three is a long chapter that's all about the question: Is it the end of the world? Um, people are saying it is the end of the world; that the day of the Lord has come, uh, and and Peter is trying to contest that and say, no, it hasn't come. These things have to happen. And anyway, there's going to be this uh, cataclysmic end of the world. Uh, and Peter kind of describes that a little bit, and it's kind of, it's kind of terrifying. 
But as we listen to Peter, and as we just try to kind of get our bearings on end times, before we look at the whole um, sort of sweep of scripture and human life and human longings, feelings, nostalgias, dreams, and so on. Peter, in the middle of this third chapter, says a, a delightful thing that we're going to kind of focus on. He says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we're asking the question this morning, well, what are, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Are you looking for a fight? No, not looking for a fight. But what else are we not looking for? I think we would, in these days, we would really quickly say we're not looking for hatred. Um, there's been enough of that. We've all experienced enough of it, more than enough of it. In my growing up days, I long since have gotten tired of hatred. I've long since hated um, becoming the kind of person that hates someone because of a label, without even knowing the person, but knowing that this is that kind of a person. So hatred, um, it's a very ugly thing. We're not looking for hatred. We're not looking for racism. Boy, every, every time it seems as though we get a handle on racism, it, it raises its ugly head again. And uh, from all angles, from all viewpoints, we would have to say, you know what? We're, we're not looking for racism. We're, we're not looking for the kind of stereotyping or prejudices or disadvantages that have grown up along with um, coexisting races. We're not looking for violence. And there, uh, again, has been a shocking amount of violence. And when we watch the TV news and see these bad actors who just seemingly want to be violent, they want to violate buildings and vehicles and uh, other people's rights. Uh, we're not looking for violence. We're not looking for what we might call political posturing and blaming. It's so easy to sort into us and them. And when the real issues are before us, we can spin those issues in a way that is, is posturing our particular ideology or politics. And, and we're all prone to find ourselves bending one way or the other. But in the middle of some terrible things that make us wonder, is this the end of the world? It, it, it's, it's terrible to have people rise up against brothers and sisters as they do. We, we can then drift into kind of posturing and, and blaming, and, and we wanna, don't want to do that. We are not looking for warring or threats. We don't um, love the idea that we would kind of characterize nations or peoples and posit them as the enemy and we 
those who have to war against them, either in ideology or or, uh, even in in physical activity. We're we're not looking for that. We're not looking for threats. We're honestly not looking for more policing. I don't know any police officers who um, wish there was more work for them to do. Most police officers would rather be doing something lovely and peaceful and um, to be appreciated by the rest of society, maybe just directing things, um, leading things, guiding things. I'm pro-police, but nor are we looking for uh, a state where there is, you know, a, a bigger police presence where where people's behavior has to be controlled physically. We're, we're not looking for all those things. So my proposal to you today is this, that I know what we are actually looking for. I hope you'll agree with me. It's, you may not immediately um, recognize the term, but let me explain what the term is and what it means. Honestly, I think we're looking for righteousness. We're looking for righteousness. Uh, I will flesh that out today and try to show you what righteousness means. But as we look at the uh, kind of an incredible teaching of Second Peter, um, he's talking about something that we are looking for. And he uses the verb two times in, in a few verses. And he says, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth. And then later on, he says, if, if we're looking for these things, then he brings on some more teaching for us. But when we look at the the whole image of a new creation, and the image of new, a new creation comes all the way from the prophets of the Old Testament into the Gospels and then into the epistles of the New Testament. In all of those forecasts of the kingdom coming, the new heaven and new earth, or new heavens and new earth, the, the culture that will mark that new creation is the culture of righteousness. That's the very language of many of the prophets' um, predictions about when the wonderful time that is yet future arrives uh, and there's a new creation that the old has gone. And we're going to take some time in Peter to figure out how the old one leaves and how the new one comes. Um, As I said, there's some fairly cataclysmic language for us to have a look at. But when we look at the the teachings of the prophets and, and also the New Testament about the new heavens and new earth that are coming, the single ethos or culture that will be prevalent is righteousness. That will be the way we would describe a perfect society. It's so the way that we would characterize um, how we live, how we behave, how we view, how we think. All of those things are rolled together into a lovely bundle 
that we would call righteousness. And, and I want to propose to you today that that is exactly what we're looking for. We're not looking for the various things that I outlined. And there are many, many more things that we could go through and say, no, we've had enough of that as well. We don't need any more of that. What we do need and what we indeed are looking for is righteousness. So in both Peter's letter to the uh, Asian Minor Believers, his second letter now, and in Isaiah, as he looks forward to the new heavens and new earth, uh, I come up with these two verses that, that will sort of twin together for learning today. Peter says, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isaiah says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Peter says uh, a new creation is coming, new heavens and a new earth. And th the word that he uses about righteousness is the, is the word dwells. We, use the, er, we go to that family of words a lot um, in, in my teaching because it's very frequently used in the New Testament. It means to be at home. So Peter is saying this, this new creation that's coming is a creation in which righteousness is at home. Righteousness belongs there. Um, righteousness characterizes this new environment. And then Isaiah, as he looks way past us into the future, he says there's going to be this new heavens and new earth. And there's just a very nice pastoral little comment where he says the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. I presume that doesn't mean that we couldn't remember them. It's just that we won't need to. So all of the things that characterize the turmoil of our lives and our relationships and our world, Isaiah says, yeah, the new heavens and new earth, when they come, honestly, you won't remember the things that happened before. You won't call them to mind. Peter says, the word that is used to characterize the ethos, the culture of the new heavens and the new earth is righteousness. Righteousness will be such a prevalent feeling and experience that we will forget the things that were characteristic of, of unrighteousness, of wickedness, of turmoil, of strife. We just won't think of those things. And when we wonder then what righteousness is, we do well to sort of slow down and say, of all of the things that God could pick to mark the culture or the ethos of the new heavens and the new earth, why righteousness? I mean, God could have chosen truth. Um, he could have chosen holiness. He, th th there are all kinds of other good attributes that he might have chosen. Uh, and yet, what God lets sort of um, seep in almost every time there is a description of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the, the full embracing of the, the covenant between God and humankind, um, the word righteousness finds its way in there.
So we don't say righteousness very often when we're talking to one another, and it would be good for us to figure out exactly what it means. Righteousness, um, as I understand it, is kind of the, the proper positioning of the two axes of life. Uh, or the two axes of society. There is the the vertical axis, the up and down axis, and that's the one that tells us that we are responsible to love God, to live a life responsive to God our creator. The other is the, the horizontal axis, and the horizontal axis tells us that we must love others, love God and love others. And as they intersect and as they both play out in our lives, we will be living a life of righteousness. We will be experiencing righteousness as people and as societies. When we look for a description of, of righteousness, we, we do well then to go to God's covenant descriptions. And both in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and what Jesus then brings to his disciples and followers as his reworking of the law of the Ten Commandments. We find that they're both there, the, the vertical and the horizontal axis. To love God is the first table of the law. Those are the first few commandments and then to love one another, to love others, um, is the second table, the second set of commandments. Um, the law about Sabbath is kind of the hinge. And Sabbath is that mechanism that God has provided for us, that rhythm he has provided for us, by which we pivot uh, our relationships with God and our relationships with one another. We live with the reflection of Sabbath. We think about how we live because we are God's created image. And when we have meditated on that image of God and worshiping him, then we can, by the Sabbath, kind of hinge into the social lives, the relational lives, by which we love one another, we love others. And so while the Ten Commandments are largely negative in their statement, they are ways that we express our love for one another. We don't murder one another, for example. We don't steal from one another if we love one another. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus is addressed by a particular kind of scholar who says, which kind of commandment is the most important one? And um, Jewish law has fleshed out the Ten Commandments into all kinds of case law. So you could take any one of the commandments and find you know, books and books and books interpreting the kind of law that it is. And so the, this scholar who was familiar with this study said, well, we know that there are different kinds of laws. So which kind of law is the most important? Which law is the most important one? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he, he draws this person into a conversation, and they distill all of the law into saying there are two things. One, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
and two, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that the whole of the law and prophets hang on those two commandments. Those two commandments constitute righteousness. To live righteously, to experience righteousness, is, is to properly align our lives to God, our creator. And that informs everything about us. It, it informs how we view ourselves, where our worth comes from, uh, how we balance our lives, how, how we find enjoyment and beauty and sadness and sorrow in, in our lives. That all comes from that vertical axis of loving God, worshiping God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And your neighbor is yourself. And so the social ethic by which we live, which is the second component, the second axis of righteousness, is to love one another as ourselves. That's a, a, a grand check that's placed on the loving one another. We all love ourselves. We all take care of ourselves. And if if I had to ask a question every time I was um, doing something good or ill concerning my neighbor, would I do this for me? Um, would or would I not do this for me? Love loving our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus says those are the two commandments. And when you have understood those two summary commandments you will understand righteousness. You will understand what it means to live a meaningful, fulfilling, fruitful life that we would call righteousness. When we look over the events of these last few weeks, we can certainly say that, my goodness, we violated so many parts of the two parts of the law. Uh, We violated our respect for human dignity, for the image of God in human beings. We violated the second part of the commandments, which have to do with our valuing the property and the reputation and the character of our neighbors. We just did it time and time again. We, we broke the commandments. And we were aided and abetted by these um, bad actors. People um, in whom the infection of sin or the epidemic of sin was, was just growing unhindered. And so they came and they inflamed whatever little bit of infection was in the rest of us. Um, they called out the gang in us. Um, they said, you want to fight? Are you looking for a fight? Then here we were. We showed up for that fight. We're not looking for all of these things. Honestly, we are looking for righteousness. And as followers of Christ, we are longing forward to a new day where there is a new heavens and new earth. And we're going to explore that as fully as we can. I mean, what does that look like? We might get a, a bit of a fix on what earth will be like recreated. But what does it mean to to have a recreated heavens? What's in, included? 
what's involved and how how does all of that take place peter says you're looking for that new heaven and new earth to come aren't you the, the place where righteousness will feel at home will 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 be the ethos will be the culture so there's a way you should pay attention to your living now as you are looking for that which is going to come later on. He says very simply, since, and where we were before, according to his promise, and his promise is the whole set of promises from the prophets, including the one that I read to you from Isaiah, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, since you're tired of the broken down world and our broken down humanity, and you're tired of all of the things that just call out the fight in us, and you're longing for righteousness, because when it is at home, everyone will breathe a deep sigh of relief. And they may say, remember when it used to be that it was like this. But Isaiah says, you know, the new creation will be so wonderful that we won't even want to think about the way it was before. You see, Satan is called the god of this world, and he inflames every bad thing. He mobilizes every bad character, bad apple. Um, and he will have been finally and fully dismantled. He has been disempowered by the work of Christ on the cross, but he's being given enough rope, as they say, to hang himself. We're tired of the way that he has played with us. And we want the kind of society that God planned for us in the very first place. We want a society in which our God is in our midst. Not, not demanding um, senseless loyalty or pathetic devotion, but inviting dynamic, real relationships enjoyment, learning, uh, beauty. We're, we're longing for that. We're looking forward to that. And so Peter says, since you're looking forward to these things, you're done with all the things that are second best or even worse than that, the things that mark the brokenness of, of your world, since you're looking for these other things, the new creation and the righteousness that, that is at home there. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, I'll, I'll jump to the end of that verse just for a moment as we anticipate the next few weeks. Peter says, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just a bit earlier in the same chapter, he said this, the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowless, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So Peter is saying, 
there are those, he says in the same chapter, who are saying, where's the promise of his coming? And Peter says, hold on. The promise of his coming is still good. The promise of his coming is the promise of his reign of righteousness. And that has not been canceled. But the patience of God waits for people to turn towards him. And so Peter said, be careful to regard this patience of the Lord as salvation. The more people are enlightened, the more people figure out that we don't want this broken down world the way it is. We want a reign of righteousness. The more we figure out that there's something rotten with us and we search for what it is that might deal with that rottenness, uh, the more the patience of Christ uh, is enjoyed and employed as others come to know the great truth of the new heavens and the new earth that are, are sure to be coming. So, so back into the rest of the verse, um, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Those are three interesting words that Peter talks about in the context of his announcing the day of the Lord and um, the advent of righteousness. He says, in the meantime, you need to live like people who belong in the new heavens and the new earth. You need not to be among the bad actors. You need not to be among those that are you know, itching for a fight. You instead should live out the truth of who you are and who you will be. And the three words that I want to give you, says Peter, are peace. Be people of peace. That means that every um, kind of movement of enmity or hatred or strife, you should stop it in its in, in its tracks. You you should speak against hatred and enmity and and you should speak for peace, for the beautiful attributes of the spirit, among which is is peace. Peter also s- says that y- you want to be found by him when when Christ arrives to establish his kingdom. You you want to be found to be people of peace. And you want to be found as people who are spotless and blameless. I th- I think the way he is meaning those terms are uh, what we would say quite commonly which is we need to do what's right and be seen to do what's right. That, that, that when he talks about being spotless, it, it just means that. It, it was used usually of a, a lamb that was w- without blemish. There was, there was no mark on the lamb. So Peter says when Christ finds you, he should find you without anything Im- impeding you, anything um, blemishing you. But then when he finds you, he should find that you are people who are credited for that kind of spotlessness. That the the way you live, the way you become um, a spokesperson for peace, 
the way that you become a person who shows the integrity of uh, what is right and good and true and holy should have people make note of the kind of life you live and wonder about what it is that brings you to that kind of life. If nothing else, these last few weeks have given us the opportunity to show our colors, so to speak. They've given us the opportunity not to behave towards others in a way that would would be characteristic of our fallenness or our sinfulness. They've hopefully made us stop in our tracks and ask, what's the peaceful way here? Um, And what is the truthful way here? What's the loving way here? And where are the people around me against whom I should check myself as to how I treat them, how I view them, uh, what I think of them? How much more careful can I be to do to do the next thing or to do the other thing or to do more things that would make me a person of peace and would make me a person who is like the Lord Jesus uh, as he lives out his flesh, so to speak, in his body, the church. Finally, as we kind of wrap up what we're thinking in all of this, Matthew 6, 33 would, would be a lovely sort of uh, climax where Jesus says, when it, when it comes to all of these things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus is saying, I know life is full of needs and wants and challenges and problems. So live like this. Seek first the kingdom of God. And the way the kingdom of God is explained is that it is peaceable, it is loving, it is kind. All of those things that we hear through the the teaching of Jesus, notably in the Sermon on the Mount, they become uh, the plan of action for those of us who are followers of Christ. And those of us who are, yes, indeed, um, looking for the new heavens and new earth and the reign of righteousness. And, and so working out being peace people, um, spotless people, and blameless people, people who are right and do right by the power of the Spirit and are seen to be right and be doing right. Jesus says that that would be a good way for you to occupy yourself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There it is, that word that just envelops the, the, the sum of all of the teaching of the law and the prophets and the expectation of the of the eschaton. Seek those things, his kingdom and his righteousness. And the other things that you need will be supplied as well. So why don't we do that as we press on? Let us uh, look forward to the time when we will hardly look back to the days of strife and hatred um, because the new thing that has come is that which is best described as the righteous reign of our great God and Savior.